Well, thank you uh, to everyone that's taken part so far, and it's uh, good to see you all again this evening. Just this week, uh, as Christmas shopping has gone into overdrive, it struck me once again, and maybe this has struck you before, that there are some significant differences between the shopping habits of men and women. Now, I know I'm treading on shaky ground here. I guess I'm not the only one to notice this. One difference, and it shall always be so, is that women start shopping earlier than men. I dipped my big toe into the shopping experience one lunchtime this week and noticed that men were conspicuous by their absence. Women begin weeks before, sometimes months before, and men seem to pride themselves on beginning and ending their shopping on a single day. That day, of course, is Christmas Eve. (laughs) There's also another difference as well. Uh, Perhaps you've noticed this. There can be a different perception of spending. I cleared this with my wife, just so that you know she's not going to get me into trouble. But uh, this week, uh, Nikki was out shopping one evening, and she came back late with numerous bags. Numerous bags. <laughs> now, you know how it is, gentlemen. Uh, you're sitting there and you're trying to look curious, but not concerned. <laughs> and you're asking, how busy were the shops, dear? But what you're really wondering is, how much did we spend? <laughs> What's the damage? So I'm holding myself in, holding myself back, And here's how it begins, and some of you know this experience. My wife launches in to tell me how much she has saved. (laughs) Between one bargain and another, five pounds here, ten pounds, twenty pounds here, and so on. It was an amazing amount of savings. (laughs) I'm interested in debt. Uh, She's interested in savings. And as it happens tonight... Hopefully, we're going to please everyone here. We're going to think about both debt and savings. Debt and savings. And with a particular focus on saving, a Christmas saving. Now, this is not, of course, from a a financial perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. And there's two verses I want to share with you tonight that will focus on a Christmas saving that we all can make and that we all need to make. It's at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what the angel says to Joseph as he comes and gives him the, the good news. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's the verse we'll home in on. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Give him, the angel says, the name Jesus. Now, in the days when Mary and Joseph lived, naming was a big deal. Naming was even more significant. It was taken more seriously than it perhaps is today. 
A child's name in this culture contained meaning. And it contained aspiration. It was really the the prayerful hope of the parents for the future of their child. You named them what you wanted them to become. And yet this child, no ordinary child, is given the name Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Well, Jesus means Savior. It's an astonishing name that he is given. I was saying to the folks at the midweek carol service that uh, I have three children of my own, and my wife and I have given them all names, given them first names. I better get this right. Uh, Glenn, uh, Rebecca, and Grace. And then we've given them middle names, just to make it more complicated. Uh, Andrew, and Jane, and Sarah Margaret. And we've even given them, and you do this, don't you, pet names. Pet names. So it's uh, Cutie Pie, uh, Little Treasure, uh, Cheeky Monkey. (laughs) Stop that. (laughs) You know how it is. Lots of names, various designations. But I can tell you, we never get close to naming our children with the sorts of names that Jesus is given. He was called Emmanuel, we read in the reading earlier, which means God with us. And they gave him the name Jesus, which means Savior. It's an astounding name. There's little Savior. Little Savior. And what I want to do, just for the next few moments is to explore a little further the meaning of this name. To pause and to ponder and to try and penetrate the significance of Savior. I want to ask two questions, very basic. First of all, why did Jesus save? What was it that Jesus came to save people from? And secondly, who does Jesus save? Who is it that that gained the benefits of his saving work. So let's begin with why Jesus saves. What's, what's the need for Jesus to be more than just a, a beautiful baby in the nativity scene? What's the need for, for Jesus to be more than just a, a good moral teacher, but to be a savior? We know that the lifeguard saves people from the sea. What is it that Jesus saves people from? Well, the answer, I think, is laid out very clearly At the end of verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. No doubt this is a kind of saving that people don't think about much at this time of year. As I was alluding at the beginning, the kind of saving that we're thinking about is monetary saving. And the kind of debt that we're concerned about is financial debt. We read uh, this week, perhaps you did, that four million of us are still paying off the debt from last Christmas. That's one in ten. Servicing credit card debt for 2006. As concerning as that kind of debt is, it is not the only kind of debt or the biggest kind of debt that we are in as human beings. The Bible says that we are in a spiritual debt to God. It's what the scripture calls sin, or here, sins. It's a word that's gone out of circulation in 2007. But let me reintroduce it to you. 
Sin describes the attitude or action that rebels against God. It's when I turn away and reject God's will and God's way, God's right and God's rule to reign over my life. And sin's got a favorite motto. It is not thy will be done, but my will be done. Pushing God off the throne, to the side, to the edge and the fringes, and placing ourselves at the center of our lives. And by this definition, all of us have fallen short. All of us are guilty. The cult of human goodness is in trouble. You know, you get these radio phone-ins and they're discussing the the, uh, prison system and the problems with crime. And the common idea is that criminals even uh, are really just a product of bad influences and bad childhoods. And then for those of us with uh, less dubious dealings, uh, the National Self-Esteem Association, I discovered this week, recommends that you repeat to yourself before you go to sleep at night, I like myself, I like myself, as many times as you can before you go to sleep. But, you know, unfortunately, telling ourselves we are good is not enough if God thinks we are bad. All of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And let me tell you, this is a serious thing. There, there are consequences because of this. Just think of, about maybe a situation where you've got yourself into financial debt. What is it that happens? Well, you probably get a letter through the post. And the letters get big type. And it's probably in red. And it is telling you that you have a penalty fine. Because you've overdrawn. Because you're in debt. Well, in the same way, we are told that the wages of sin is death. There's a a price. There's a, a punishment. There's a judgment that comes because of sin. And you see, this is where Jesus comes in. This is the significance. We are in debt. And what is it that we need? We need Jesus. We need a Savior who will bail us out and who will wipe out the sin that we've committed. Here's what one verse in the Bible says. He appeared. He appeared so that he might take away our sins. In another place, we read that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, I'm venturing over into my second point, which is who Jesus saves. We've learned why Jesus saves. It's because of sins. But who will attain the benefits of this? If Jesus came to save, how can we know this Christmas that we will be among those who are saved by him? Again, I think this is very clearly laid out in Matthew 1.21. And in the middle part of the verse, you shall call his name Jesus, Savior, for he will save his people, his people from their sins. Several years ago, uh, we went on a family holiday to a hotel in Scotland. And uh, as all these hotels do, it had many leisure facilities. And uh, I had been down a number of times to enjoy these. But one day, as I was sitting in our room, I was looking through the brochure. And I came across uh, a part of the complex that I had never been into. 
It was a new wing of the leisure facility. It looked exceptionally plush uh, with beautiful uh, jacuzzi and saunas and fake palm trees. And I thought, I've got to get a taste of this. So I headed down and I gave my pass in at the reception and they promptly pushed it back in my direction. And when I inquired why I couldn't get in, they said, that section is only for permanent members of the leisure club. It's not for temporary guests. I think this verse is saying something a little bit similar. You've actually got to be in the club. You've actually got to be a permanent member of a particular group of people to gain access to the blessings and the benefits. You've got to be part of God's people. This uh, firstly in Matthew describes Jewish believers probably. But later it came to include people who were not Jews, who trusted in Jesus and who became part of God's people, also known as the church. And really this evening, folks, you've got to be in to win. You've got to be part of this people to enjoy the pleasures and the treasures that come through what Jesus did. In Bethlehem, the beginning of the story, and eventually at the cross where he died in our place. So how do we get in? How do we gain access? That's what I wanted to know on that occasion. Well, first of all, let me say this, that it's not by paying some kind of capital to God. That actually was how I could have got into this leisure facility, by paying cash. But this is not the case with God. We've already said that that we're in spiritual debt to God. How can we pay him anything? And furthermore, we don't get into this group by simply attending church or even becoming formal members of a of a body of believers. Attending church doesn't make you a member of the church any more than dressing up as an angel in the nativity play makes you an angel. In fact, there's actually nothing, there is actually nothing you can do to get in. All you can do is respond to what Jesus has done to bring you in. Rather like the, the lifeguard, if you're, if you're drowning in the sea and he comes out to save you, he reaches down his hand and only he can save you. But you have to reach up and receive his hand. You have to accept his help to be saved. And so I want to finish by simply explaining how it is that we respond to this saviour, to this gift. There are two very basic things this Christmas. First of all, We need to turn away from our sin. We need to turn away from our rebellion against God. This is how it goes in Acts 3 verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. You need to to turn away from the sins that Jesus died for. You need to admit your guilt before God. Early last century there was a an article in the Times newspaper which posed a provocative question. It was, what is wrong with the world? And one gentleman wrote in to the newspaper with the following short response, Dear Sir, I am, yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. That's really what repentance is. It's recognizing that the problem 
in a world full of problems begins with us, begins in our own hearts. It's recognizing that we've turned away from God and it's having a change of mind to turn back to live for him. And that's only the first part of the response. It's very important. But secondly, we must also trust in the person of Jesus. On another occasion in the New Testament, somebody asked a a similar question to what we're asking tonight. He said to this preacher who was sharing with them the message about Christ, he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And here's what the preacher Paul replied. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In other words, trust in who Jesus is. Trust that he is God in human flesh. And trust in what he has done. That by coming to earth and later by dying for the world, he can save you from your sin. And put your hope in Jesus, not just for Christmas, as they say, but for life and for eternity. You know, no one else on the face of the earth can save you from your sins. People can save you from all sorts of different things, but for your sins, only Jesus can save you if you turn to him and if you trust in him. I began by talking about people in financial debt and saving. And it's amazing what people will do to get out of debt. You couldn't have missed the story about John Darwin missing and presumed dead for five years. Uh, after an infamous canoe trip and uh, pitches up uh, alive and well and allegedly all because he and his wife were trying to improve the financial situation. Running this scam, 150,000 pounds. Didn't get away with it. Didn't solve the problem. And you know, in spiritual terms too, we cannot maneuver, we cannot connive our way out of debt to God. God has provided the solution for us. He sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior, to release us from our debt. And Jesus was born not only to bring God to us, but also to bring us to God as we trust him and as we turn to him. Whether or not you'll make any financial savings this Christmas, I don't know. But I do know that you could be greatly saved this Christmas by the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you trust him this evening? Why don't you receive him? Forget the other Christmas presents this year. Take Christ and accept him as your own. And he will save his people from their sins. Let's respond to that as we sing together.